great. Thank you. Yeah, it has been a, a great week, isn't it? I, I didn't share in the time because I knew I'd have a chance now, but just <laughs> a little thing. It has been... One of the things that struck me again was the, just that op- option, that opportunity, as others have said, to sit and just be in God's presence and to um, yeah, bring our heart to him. struck me that it wasn't just a quiet place. It was a peaceful place. I know that. Yeah, there was a, and, and I think when we were there as elders, uh, we had the elders meeting in the in the prayer room, and we all sat in different places and reflected and waited on the Lord and shared what what um, you know we we kind of received and thought um, from Him. And it was it was it, this has been a noisy week, isn't it? This is like the this is mega student party week. I don't know whether you noticed that. Some of you may be actually been out partying. Hope you had a great time. Some of you, I, I won't look at anyone there, any students and so on. Uh, and even when there was noise outside, it just still seemed to be just incredibly peaceful. And that night particularly, it's always noisy on Elder's Night, isn't it? But we try and keep it down. Anyway, let's get on with the message. <laughs> uh, let's have a look. The day of Pentecost then. The day of Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost was uh, the Jewish feast, part of the Jewish uh, uh, year of walking with God in, in their kind of life. It happened 50 days after Passover, which celebrated their um, uh, liberation from uh, Egypt, from slavery and God's provision of the sacrifice of the lamb and his bringing them into freedom. Uh, That was what they celebrated at Passover. At Pentecost, this was the celebration uh, of harvest. It was the beginning of the harvest season. Uh, And the idea was that that that, they would bring a... Uh, a sacrifice uh, or lots of them offerings that were like the beginnings of the harvest not all the harvest was in yet but there was this sense of this was what's called the first fruits the beginning and it was a a celebration of what God was going to provide them later uh, through the harvest kind of act of faith and kind of the beginning of what was to come and it was on that day that the Holy Spirit came into the community of Jesus disciples and quite literally everything changed from then on. And we're going to see uh, how, why that was, how it was, and, and we're going to be asking, well, what does that mean for us as God's people? Now, how do you feel about promises? I guess we've got different kind of ideas about promises. I remember uh, I, I, when I was a child, I don't remember much of my childhood, but I suppose that sense when you were a child, you know, someone's made a promise and Oh, it's just so looking forward to it, to it, to it kind of happening, and maybe it does, or maybe it doesn't, or maybe you expect too much, or, or whatever. But try and take yourself back, because we do get cynical, and we go through life, and sometimes we break promises, or promises are broken, and, and we'll try and get, and get back to that sense before those things happened of living in it, it, when someone that you really know and love and trust has made you a promise and you're waiting for that promise to be fulfilled because that's the case Jesus talks about the Holy Spirit as a promise before he died and after the resurrection Jesus made promises to his disciples and this is Jesus we're talking about not some unreliable person he promised them that the Holy Spirit would come and be with them, that Jesus himself would somehow live in them, that he would be part of their lives in a new way. Now let's read about one of these times when he made this promise, and that's in Acts chapter 1. We're thinking, first of all, of the promise made. Here it is in verse 4. 
On one occasion, while Jesus was eating with them, that's the disciples, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Jesus had said a lot about this in the past. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid him from their sight. And they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking up into the sky? This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. That's the promise made. Jesus told his disciples not to leave Jerusalem, not to get on with what he told them to do initially, because there was a gift coming for them. A gift that the Father had promised. He says to them at this point, he says, it's only going to be a few days now. Put yourself back in that childhood place, maybe waiting for Christmas. Only a few days to go. Are we nearly there yet? Only a few days to go, and the promise is going to be fulfilled. And Jesus says, just like when John the Baptist started something new off with his baptism in water, Jesus was going to kind of, I was going to, I put originally in my boot notes, reboot everything again. Actually, if you're into computers, which I'm not, refresh might be a better idea. The whole thing was going to be refreshed as the Holy Spirit, a new beginning was going to come. They were going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Baptism was always a symbol of new beginnings, whether it was John's or Jesus's or rather his disciples when he, they baptized and then on into the New Testament. And, and Jesus is saying there's a new beginning. It's like a baptism and it's a baptism, a new beginning in the Holy Spirit. Now the disciples don't quite get it, do they? Well, they don't. We don't, do we? That's, uh, we're just the same. They're thinking more of Jewish supremacy. Well, they would. Why wouldn't they, I suppose? And how and when it all might come really good at last for Israel. And Jesus says, look, don't worry about that. That's not for you to worry about. You will receive power to be my witnesses in, if you like, Jewish land, in in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. But across the whole world too. This promised gift is going to give you power to be witnesses across the whole world. He says, your horizons are a bit small, guys. You're thinking about Jewish supremacy. I've got something much more exciting ahead than that. The promise is that they're going to be given the resources to fulfill this commission. He's given them on several occasions to take that good news of Jesus, calling people to follow him across the whole world. Now, we're often like the disciples, aren't we? We we don't quite get it. You know, our priorities, our agendas kind of, uh, of a thing. It may not be Israeli supremacy for us, but maybe there are other things. You know, our little kingdom. Someone wrote a poem in the, in the book, the, the prayer book, all about how um, your kingdom come and, and that thrust of the poem was uh, there are kingdoms in our heart that we need to kind of let go of that God's kingdom might come into our heart. It was a, a, a joyous little piece. I don't know who wrote it, but do read it, or if you get a chance to, 
Uh, it's, it was a really, I was blessed by that contribution, whoever of you wrote that. We want our little kingdoms to get rubber stamped by Jesus, don't we? Jesus brings us back. He brings them back. So the main thing is that we're to be witnesses to him. And he's going to give us the power to do that. All that we need to do what he calls us to do. Maybe we should take that into wherever you are tomorrow. At work or the kids or looking after people or whatever you do in your day. That's his agenda. And then he leaves them. It's the ascension. And he returns to take up his place as king, as lord over everything in creation. We thought about that last Thursday week. uh, And I won't go on about it uh, now, but you can get it online if you want to. So there, so far so good, I hope. That's the backstory. What happens next? Well, the next thing that happens is the promise is kept in Acts chapter 2. Look at Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues or other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? There's a whole list. Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia. So I, you know, there's the list. I won't go through it now. Verse 11. Right down to Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed. They asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they've had too much wine. So Jesus told the disciples to wait. They're together in one place, it says in verse 1, doesn't it? They'd been praising, they'd been together for prayer ever since um, Jesus leaves them. Uh, And uh, we know from verse 14 that there are about 120 of them by now. And then suddenly, it says, just no warning, out of the blue, suddenly... Uh, There's the sound like a violent wind from heaven. That's what it says. And there's fire in the room. And the fire in the room kind of separates. So each of the presumably 120 or however many there were there, there's a kind of fire above them. There's like, I don't know, can you imagine it? It's quite an amazing uh, phenomenon, isn't it? And then the Holy Spirit fills all of them. And they all speak with the, these other languages, these other tongues. What's all that about then? What's going on? Well, first thing is a very interesting phrase. This violent wind came from heaven. From heaven. What's that about? Where did Jesus go in verse 1, chapter 1, verse 11? Two, twice. Disciples are told twice by the angels. This same Jesus, who's been taken from you into heaven, will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. From heaven, 
Jesus, as the ascended king, says something, pours out the Holy Spirit. If you look, we're going to read this in a minute, but just turn the page to Luke chapter 2, verse um, 32. This is later, Peter explains what's going on, and he says to all the people around, he says, God has raised this Jesus to life. We are all witnesses of the fact Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. Uh, That's what uh, Peter's explaining, all the crowd that came, what's going on? What do we see? What do we hear? What's this about? Peter says, this is about Jesus as the exalted king pouring from heaven, from his presence, from God, the Holy Spirit into people, into that room. And these disciples and the people around them, they knew perfectly well that God could indwell places, that God could be somewhere, as well as filling all things. Their temple, the Jewish temple, was all about that very thing. Their history included years of God being with them. As they traveled 40 years through the desert, uh, that God was with them. And what was the symbol of that? It was a pillar of fire at nighttime and cloud by the daytime. The temple, their temple, when it was first built, was once filled with the glory of God, filled with God's presence, so much so that nobody could kind of do anything. So overwhelming was God's presence in the temple. They knew all about that. And then they knew, too, that the curtain in the temple had been ripped apart when Jesus died. They also knew that Jesus had said, the temple's over, guys. I'm the temple now, It's pretty much what he said. It was a misunderstanding of that statement that caused the false accusations at his trial. Remember that? So here, God is in the room, filling not just a place now, but the people in the place. Not confined to a moment or to a particular building, but in them. And it continues, God's presence continues in their lives This is the keeping of the promise that Jesus made to them. This is the keeping of the promise. Sounds a bit Tolkien-like, doesn't it? But this is it. The promise is kept right there, right then, on the day of Pentecost. Now, what about us? You might say, well, it's all right for them. (laughs) Could that happen with us? Well, it's clearly a very special event. It is the beginning of the new age, isn't it? And in one sense, it's it's a very special one-off. But now the door is open. Now the king is ascended to heaven. Why can't this gift from heaven fill us too? Can't think of any reason why not, can you? The gift of God's presence, the breath of heaven, is absolutely for us as believers. We're told to be filled with the Spirit, to walk in the Spirit, not to grieve the Spirit, not to put out the Spirit's fire. It's for us too. may not be the same way, but the underlying truth is for us. Is there anything that we can pick up about how it might be for us from the way it happened here? Then about fire and wind from heaven, that might happen. You might not like that very much. I don't know. Certainly, I'm intrigued by this idea that it's sudden. It's unannounced. Why is that? 
because it's from God and it's up to God. It's entirely up to him. If you want the doctrinal language for that, it's in his sovereignty. He initiates this move in the way that he chooses. And I think that's something that's quite important for us. Sure, we can pray, we can wait, but ultimately God moves. And it's in his gift, if you like, to move in whatever way he chooses in our lives, individually or corporately. But the being together, the waiting and the praying, the worshipping, does seem to be important, doesn't it? To be together as they were on that day, they had to be in a place together. And God can fill and shake and touch the place where, we, where they are. And I don't, again, see why there's any reason to say this kind of possibility has ceased. And in the same way, as we as believers are filled with God's Spirit, so it can overflow, the filling can overflow in praise to Him and blessing to others, uh, which we'll find out as we read on. Let's read on and see what happens next. Third thing I want us to think about is the power at work. We'll pick it up at verse 11. Remember all those people, all those visitors from all over the place heard that. And verse 13, some of them made fun. And then verse 14. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. Now, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, and he quotes one of the Old Testament prophets. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below. Blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited to God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for, God, for death to keep its hold on him. And then he quotes from the Old Testament again from the Psalms. And I want us to pick it up again at verse 32, which I've read already, but Peter goes on to sum it up, saying, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. And he quotes that on through. Uh, and then in verse 36, he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus who you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord God, our God, will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number. 
that day. Just as Jesus had said to them, people from across the ancient world, native speakers of languages beyond the region. That list I read, here's a map. Can you see it? I, know, I kind of took, it, took a photo out of a, te- uh, a commentary by Tom Wright. Can you just see all those languages there? They're, they're, these are all the languages that are mentioned. See, Elam, Mede, Parthia, Mesopotamia, Cappadocia, Phrygia, Asia, Rome, uh, Libya, Cyrenicia, Egypt, Arabia, Crete. Patsy? Now, that, what does that represent? If you were here, where are we? Sorry, I'm shaking. Look at that. If you were there, this is just about the uttermost parts of the earth, isn't it? This is everywhere. This, is, you know, this isn't the next door neighbors. This is like the far edges. This is the uttermost parts of the earth. And right there and then, as the Holy Spirit comes upon them, these people hear the wonders of God in their own languages. It's like the kind of prototype of the power to be witnesses, isn't it, to all nations. It's what God is going to do, what Jesus promised to do. He said, there it is, right in front of you, uh, in the upper room, 120 of them experiencing that. Now, the Holy Spirit can still work that way. Sometimes people are given a gift of tongues, uh, and it happens to be another language. I could tell you a story. I may have told this story before, but I used to work for an organization that had people working in all kinds of very obscure countries, like, for example, the country of Bhutan. You know where Bhutan is? Tiny country uh, in the Himalayas. Um, no believers there at all, or there didn't used to be. There are some now. They've never heard of anything. Uh, one of the people I knew there sent a letter once telling a story. She'd come across a village lady in Bhutan. And this lady had had an encounter with Jesus, although she'd never really, well, she must have heard of him, but she'd actually prayed to Jesus, who had healed her son. Her son had fallen from the house and uh, possibly been raised from the dead, actually. And this woman was so grateful, she became a worshipper of Jesus. And she told this um, colleague of mine who sent the letter, so this is only one, this is one step away. This isn't, oh, someone said this once, once, once. Uh, she said, uh, she was telling the story to this uh, person working there, this believer working there. She said, you know, since I've started following Jesus, he's given me this language that, I don't know what it is, but I just pray in it. So she said, well, let's pray together. I think she spoke Zonga. Or I think that's the language they speak out there. Zonga. It's beginning with a D, obviously. Uh, and um, and as, as, as she spoke, uh, as she, said, she said, okay, will you pray in your language? That's fine. And this woman from a village in Bhutan prayed in perfect English. Just poured out praises to Jesus. So it, does, it can happen that way. The Lord can do it that way. I would like to suggest that normally, perhaps the supply chain is a bit longer. You know, he uses us to go and to learn languages, to do all of those things, but, but he can do it. This is what the Holy Spirit, one of the reasons the Holy Spirit came to give us power to be witnesses to the very uttermost parts of the earth. And as God fills this room and these people, the first thing that happens reveals his heart that all people might know of his wonders. This is very significant, isn't it? This is our God. This is what is like. This is what happens when, if I may say that reverently, which of course I can't, when the Holy Spirit kind of falls out of heaven and, and comes and fills a whole room full of people, the first thing that happens is God's heart for 
every language group. They could all, you see, all those people could understand Greek. They all had a language. They, they didn't need to hear in those languages. But God's heart, the Holy Spirit's passion, is that people might hear of his wonders in their native language, in the language they dream in. Why not? Why should they have to learn English? Why should they have to be part of the Western church? And how are we going to be part of that? That's why we send mission partners. That's why we pray for them. That's why it's a joy to be part of what they're doing. Let's move on. What does he tell them? Sorry, I don't know where I've gone. I've lost my notes completely. Oh, yeah, here I am, right. <laughs> uh, as God, yeah, it's significant. Do we get it? And the thing is, they ask this question, what does it mean? And you know what? Someone has to tell them. Get that? Someone has to tell them. Do I hear that? Someone has to tell them what it means. And Peter, the apostle, you know, the one who denied Jesus and you know, in some ways was the worst of the bunch, apart from Judas, some might say, is the someone. And what does he do? He gets up. What does he tell them? Well, he, they knew the Old Testament promise that God would intervene in history again. That was the great Jewish hope. They kind of got, they kind of in their thinking, they saw that God had promised the Messiah would come, that he would kind of, kind of come and wind up the whole of history and that the end would happen as a result of that. It was all kind of in their thinking telescoped into one event. And in one sense it is telescoped into one event, but we know that that event began when Jesus came and it's going to be completed when Jesus returns. And the event is, we're still in what Peter says are, quote, the last days. As God is already, as it were, in that process of completing everything. Started at the resurrection, continued in the ascension, and we're part of it still today. And Peter explains that what they've seen fulfills Joel's prophecy, that the Holy Spirit would not just be for specialists like prophets or priests or leaders, but that anyone, any man or woman, old or young, could know God in their lives. The Holy Spirit would work through them was for anyone and he goes on to tell them that this is the time that was promised and this is the time of the end the the final phase says peter has begun guys and as part of that final phase there's an opportunity to come to god to call on his name for salvation for rescue for forgiveness to be part of his people and peter makes that offer which he explains is through jesus who died who was raised, and that forgiveness and new life is found through him. New life from God, and 3,000 become believers on that day. What a day that was. Well, what about now? What about the power here? This overflow of the Spirit into blessing in the lives of others, that's what we see here, simply, isn't it? Spirit comes on them, overflows into blessing in the lives of others. It's what we want to be about, isn't it? It's what we want to be as God's people. Well, how? Well, again, what can we learn? Well, God is sovereign in this. In that sense, it is up to him. But our part is to be in the place he can use us. So I think just as they were together, this sense of being together in the right place, 
can apply to us. Some of what we do together can put us in that place. A few weeks' time, three weeks' time, is it? We're having a, a community fun day. And we as a church will be kind of together doing something that puts us in a place to show God's love to people. Or maybe if they say, what does this mean? We can tell them some ways that we can do that together. So uh, we can, in our neighborhood, we can link up with people. Other colleagues at work, uh, other colleagues at work maybe, other neighbors. I think Love Southampton has got a project, or there is a project called Adopt a Street, where Christians in a street can kind of get together, flag up their street, and, and intentionally pray every now and then for their neighborhood. You could do that. Be together in a place where the Holy Spirit can can you know answer our prayers fill our lives and overflow into the lives of our neighbors we're all in that place different gifts are deployed like peter on this occasion was the gift that was used we're not all the same but we can all be in that place lord fill me overflow through me when i'm together when i'm with other people when i'm on my own for that matter And what about God's heart for the nations then? They're here, aren't they? We're in the middle of them. (laughs) Here in Portsmouth. There's a community. We are surrounded by people from other nations. Some of you here, I wouldn't uh, ask you to ask, but if there's hands up those people from other nations, quite a number of us would say, yeah, that's me. Uh, And as a church community, we want to be a blessing to other nations through what we do here, through our relationships, through our welcome, through our sharing, through our love for people. We don't want to rush in, but we want to be in the place, waiting, praying that he will cause this overflow in his way, in his time, by his spirit. And of course, we know, what about, some of you are saying, well, we know, what about God's heart for the poor? We'll read on in Acts. I haven't got time to do this, of course, but if you read on to Acts chapter 3, the next big event in chapter 3 is really interesting. It's almost like an equivalent overflowing of blessing and healing that leads to salvation of, at this time, another 2,000 people come to know Jesus. In the next event Luke tells us about, which is what? Well, the Holy Spirit overflows out of Peter and John as they come across a beggar on the way into the temple. So the next big event kind of, in a way, reveals God's heart for the poor that brings salvation. I just thought that was, uh, i throw that in. And we can be in that place. So let's finish. As believers, if you're a believer, a Christian, disciple of Jesus, this power in me, this power in you, overflowing in blessing to others, that can be known in our lives too. We need that personal Pentecost, don't we? That sense of God filling us so that we may overflow to others. But it's not just for believers, you know. So you might be thinking, well, I'm not a believer, so not sure whether. Well, we've heard about God's heart for the nations, God's heart for the poor. God's heart is for you. Those people saw God at work and said, what does it mean? And there are some people, they, they come into our, our building, some of you may be here today, come and, and can sense God at work. Because a lot of praying and waiting on the Lord happens in this place. And people have said, there's something about this place. I sense God in this place. Non-Christians have said that in the last uh, two or three years. 
noticeably actually since we started the house of prayer but that may or may not be connected maybe they said it before but we didn't notice I don't know but that the point is that's what people say and maybe you're one of those people and you're saying what does it mean you've seen it you've been touched by it well the Bible says it is for you that the God who is here is for you that in this last phase before everything gets wound out wound up finished I mean in that sense there's an invitation that's out for all of us for you to call on the Lord for salvation to ask him for his rescue to ask him for that new life he promises because Jesus has died Jesus has been raised and Jesus is now the exalted king and we can ask him we can call on his name we can turn from our rebellion and ask him to come into our life so that we may know the gift and the forgiveness and the cleaning and the fresh start the Holy Spirit brings. Pentecost can be about your life as well. It's for all of us. Let's pray that we'll know what it is to just live lives together as well as individually, especially as we go out into the world, so-called, um, this week, that we'll just be overflowing as we're full of him. For his glory. Amen.